Well, I have hit record and I have lines. everyone, you're listening to the Damn Fine TV Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jasmine. And I'm Mels. Mels, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I am so excited to be chatting with you. I mean, no shade to all of our special guests on the best of episodes, but it's really nice to just hear your voice and be chatting with you about TV again. I know. I'm so excited. And I'm especially excited about what we're going to be covering. Yes, right? Um, I mean, I'm sure everyone has guessed by the title of the episode that they clicked play on that we are here to talk about The Stand. And I know that we had kind of previously said we weren't going to be talking about it until January. But I, I mean, there's like a mixture of things that brought us here a little bit earlier. First of all, I know we were just both super excited to start covering this show. But also, I had scheduled us to cover three episodes at once, which I feel was a little overly ambitious. So (laughs) we're like, let's get together for this premiere, and then we can do it two episodes at a time from there on out. So basically, we're here today to do episode one. Next week, you're going to get the third and final episode in our Best TV in 2020 series. And then we'll be back first week of January talking about episodes two and three of The Stand. And then we're going to be doing... Uh, like we talked about before, the kind of back and forth between The Stand and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Sounds good. I'm so excited. Yes. Well, I mean, before we do dive into that, though, I mean, I just wanted to we haven't really had a chance to talk about just like Christmas or holiday season. I mean, like, do you guys did you guys get a tree this year? We did get a tree. So we used to do live trees and that was all fine and dandy until we had a little one and two dogs. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden pine needles were everywhere at, well, I don't even know if it's pine needles, yeah, but yeah. the yeah. So the little needles off the tree were everywhere and just, it became a lot more uh, hassle than necessary. So we went ahead and we purchased an artificial tree. Yeah. And it has served us well the last few years. And so we did get our tree out and we decorated it together. We hung our stockings up. So it was really nice. And I'll have you know, we went, we searched everywhere to try to find the Jack Skellington Santa blow up. Because we we had the blow up for his Halloween version of himself. Of course. But Wildcat wanted the Santa version of him, and we couldn't find him anywhere. So that's been the big disappointment. I know. I know. Oh, I'm so sad for James. I know. You know what? The the Nightmare Before Christmas, it lasts literally from the 1st of October (laughs) until the 1st of January when I say... No more Jack Skellington, please. It it should have been my first question to finally check in (laughs) once again on how many times you guys have watched this, like, since Halloween. Have you guys been watching it? Yes. Now, (gasps) we just... Yes. Yes. He took a small break in November because it was birthday time for him, and he just did not have time for Nightmare Before Christmas. But... 
Um, once you started seeing it pop back up in like the Christmas stuff, because there's the Grinch, you know, there's all yeah. those things like that. Um, he was like, Jack Skellington, I forgot all about him. And so oh, we're wow. we're on watch number nine so far <laughs> for the month of December. Oh, wow. <laughs> it never stops. Oh my goodness. Well, you are like less than two weeks away from being no. able to put a rest to Nightmare Before Christmas for the year. So I, know, I, I wish I know. you the best of luck. Godspeed. You can do this. Thank you. May the force be with you, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. Uh, well, so did y'all put up a tree? Yeah, so this is, I think, um, maybe our third year getting a, like a live tree. It wasn't okay. something that we ever did before, but then because we never really had the space for it. But now we mm-hmm. live in like we live in a duplex, so we live in a, a bigger place. It's more like a house than an apartment than we've been in before, right? So we actually right. do get like a full size tree, and um, it is funny. Like with our dog, she's pretty good about it because she's she's like older now and pretty chill but whenever her tail starts to wag a lot there go the pine needles and sometimes some decorations and like (laughs) so we just try to usher her away from the tree but it is pretty funny like when our when our friends dog like one of the the bubble friends they have a dog and she's pretty young and hyper and so when they get going I just like stand in front of the tree and guard it because like the tree's like my baby now (laughs) yes I totally get it yeah but um but yeah I don't know this year I took a couple of days to decorate it because I was feeling very indecisive about the look that I wanted and it ended up being just something I think pretty simple this year, which I'm I'm here for. So you know, it's a it's a much different year for Christmas this year, right? So I was like, I yeah. think the tree needs to reflect how different this year is. Yeah, for sure. Well, the big question I want to know: Are you a colored lights person or are you a white lights person? Ooh, so I am both. Oh, but I think if I. It's just what we had. Like a lot of our decorations and even our lights were passed down to me by my mom and my stepdad. Mm-hmm. So I was just working with what I had. The first lights we actually bought were just white lights that were like a, mm, what do you call them? I guess a twinkle light. Like they come in right. and out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think if I had to choose, like if I if I got all new lights, so I think I would just go with like a more white or maybe just like a blue or something, but not all the colors. What about you? I love it. Well, the tree is pre-lit with white. Oh, that's easy. Which which I used to be a colors only person. And I had like the gaudiest tree ever. And then, like I said, a log came a little one and, and, and the ornaments were. So I've really slimmed down my ornament collection. And I now just have a few like rustic pieces on the tree. And it goes really nicely with the white light. So I'm I'm oh, becoming nice. each year, I, I'm becoming more and more fine with the white lights. But every now and again, I really miss the colored ones because it makes me think of my childhood. So mm, yeah, I know what you mean. I think I like... I don't know. I've thought about this before where maybe if I if I got more white lights, I might do something outside with my colored string lights just mm-hmm. to keep it in the mix. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. It, this year I was like, I think I like the look of having more, you know, colorful decorations, but less color in the lights. So got it. I don't know. I like I like the whole rustic look that you're talking about. And I do know somebody that 
decided to just go with lights this year, like just the plain white lights and that's it. And I'm like, yeah, I think I could dig that too. It's just, it's kind of just nice to have a tree in your house for a couple of weeks, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, are you watching any other, like, is there a holiday movie that you have to watch every year? Obviously, besides Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, every year we watch Christmas Vacation. Okay, yeah. That's like our staple go-to. And I have to say that's probably my favorite Christmas time movie. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'd have to say. I mean, it makes me laugh. It makes me like tears roll down my face from laughter no matter how many times <laughs> I watch it. So that's definitely my go-to. Oh, that's awesome. We, um, well, I don't know. I, I think... Tyler pretends that he doesn't like it, but then every time we watch it, he gets a little teary-eyed and says, like, oh, this movie's so stupid. (laughs) Um, But uh, I love It's a Wonderful Life. And there's definitely, like, some problematic parts, but it's from a different era. I can forgive it for that. But there's just, I don't know, there's something so, like, wholesome and just cute about it. And I know all the dialogue, and it's just, I don't know, that's, like, our our every year thing. But also Home Alone. Home Alone has to be watched every year, for sure. So we introduced James to Home Alone. Ooh. And this year. Th- yes, this year. And he thinks it is the funniest thing he has ever yes, seen. Yes, good man. <laughs> and he just laughs and laughs and laughs when he gets hit in the head with the anvil and everything. And I am just like, I don't know if I'm raising like, a, I don't, like, I don't know if he thinks eventually he's going to be able to like, rig up this house with like (laughs) tacks on the you know stairs and things like that but I'm just like okay we're watching this with caution (laughs) (laughs) because the next thing I know I'm gonna run down the stairs and there's gonna be like thumbtacks all over the place oh my god I I honestly think James and I would be very good friends because I can just (laughs) see us laughing at the same parts like full belly hysterically laughing because (laughs) we just watched it a couple nights ago and I still find it just as funny as I did when I was a kid. And like, I don't know if there's some nostalgia wrapped up in that. I am, I think we've talked about it on the show before. I'm such a sucker for when people fall. It just really (laughs) hits me in the gut. And so when that guy falls down the stairs, when it's all icy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Was that Merv? (laughs) Yes. Oh man. Okay. Anyways, that, yeah, I'm so glad that he's enjoying it. That's so funny. I, I think he's going to be just fine, you know? Okay, good. Good. This makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) But we, so we tried a new movie this year and I was actually really curious if you've ever seen it because it's a horror Christmas movie. Um, It's the original Black Christmas from like 1974. You know, I have actually never seen that. I saw the remake. Okay. But I've never seen the original, but I really, really want to watch it. So you loved it or what? I really liked it. Um, It's like, again, it's from the 1970s, the early 1970s. So there's obviously going to be things that, you know, stand out watching it in the year 2020. Right. But right. um, So I was reading about it and apparently it is one of the films that kind of helped to kickstart the whole slasher genre. Um, which is really cool. And it was shot in the city that I live in, which is pretty fun. And it's got some Canadian, well, it had had at least one Canadian face that I really recognized. And actually, weirdly enough, she was on kind of like a Canadian version of SNL with Catherine O'Hara, who is, of course, in Home Alone. Um, So I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was super creepy. I was definitely 
Um, I don't know if I was scared, but it definitely sat with me, just the themes mm-hmm. and everything that were in it. And it wasn't as Christmassy as I was hoping, but I really didn't care once we got like 40 minutes or like 30, 40 minutes in, you know? So Very yeah, cool. I think it's worth watching if you're into, if you want to kind of mix your mix your holidays a little bit, I guess, like your, your yeah. Halloween and your Christmas or whatever. So yeah. Love it. Yeah. Oh, and I did, I do have to mention that I've also watched, you know, those like <laughs> cheesy Christmas movies on Netflix, the uh, A Christmas Prince. Oh, I've I've seen it in the recommendations, but I have not watched it. Ooh, those movies are a trip. Uh, we've seen all <laughs> three now. We like we just like to have a couple glasses of wine and just laugh at these movies. You know, um, they're yeah. just so much fun. If if anybody out there has seen the third one about the royal baby, if you have seen the print, or I guess he's the king or the prince, I'm not sure. Um, the way that this man eats a donut. Please send me a DM, send me a message. I need to talk with you about the way that this man eats a donut. Mel's, it's like he's eating a burrito. He's never <laughs> held a donut in his life, this man. It is the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, well, I think it's worth watching it just to see that. <laughs> I mean, I have several pictures. I will send you some. <laughs> oh, please do. Oh my gosh. I thought for a minute you were going to say something on the Hallmark channel and I was going to say, uh-oh. I know, I know. Well, I mean, that's just harder for us to access because we don't have cable, so we don't really have access to the Hallmark stuff. But I think this is Netflix's version of those movies. Gotcha. Yeah. They're, I mean, whatever. They're fun for like a, a lazy Saturday afternoon, lazy Saturday night, whatever, you know? Right. Well, I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah. I mean, just expect silliness. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm here for. That's what I live for. Oh, well, that was fun. I was so looking forward to being able to talk with you a little bit about holiday stuff since, you know, we didn't really have a chance throughout the month. So yeah, uh, let's let's dive into the stand. Oh, yes. Okay, you ready? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. All right. When the Captain Trips flu epidemic wipes out more than 99% of the population, the remaining few immune to the disease set out in search of other survivors. All right. So we're at episode one, which is called The End. And I'm dying to just know your overall thoughts of it to begin with. Yeah. I, okay. I, I really, really enjoyed this. And I didn't want to read too much of other people's thoughts or listen to anybody other anybody else's thoughts, um, but I did just like kind of creep a couple of headlines just to kind of see what the consensus was, and I'm not seeing great things, and I'm really confused. So I'm I'm looking forward to when we finish our discussion to looking like to actually reading those reviews and seeing what the issues are. But as a person who has never read the book and went in pretty unsure of what to expect, apart from the fact that I knew that this was about a pandemic. I was Mm -hmm. really impressed. I really enjoyed how they introduced everything. And I'm sure it's not everything. Like, I'm sure that there's a lot more to come. But I felt really disoriented in a very good way. Like, the timelines felt like, oh, wow, like, so much is coming at me. But I think that it was super purposeful in, like, throwing me in the deep end and being like, this is the world you're in. Figure it out. Nothing's going to be spoon-fed to you. I really enjoyed that. And just knowing, like, from what I know about who else is in this cast, 
I have a feeling they really, and, and I don't know how it goes in the book, but I, it feels like they really resisted the urge to give us way too much all at once. Like we really focused mm-hmm. on like three characters for the most right? part, right? So I feel like this was a really good introduction to the world. I'm super intrigued to know more about everybody. And I was fine. Like I I was like, you know what? Let me just see if it's available on audiobook. Turns out it's available on audiobook for my library. So I got the download tonight for the audiobook and I'm going to start listening. Like, that's how excited that this premiere got me. You know, like oh. I've had the book on my shelf for like two years. And I'm like, yeah, that's heavy though. Let me get the audiobook. Yeah. But th- that's how excited I am. And I, I really enjoyed the practical, I'm guessing, effects just of like the engorged necks and all the mucus and stuff. Like it was so gross, but so intriguing and like kind of fun to look at in a gross way. And uh, (laughs) I don't know, like, listen, you are going to get a lot of insightful, intelligent remarks and and thoughts and theories from Mel's throughout this series. And you're going to get a (laughs) lot of me saying how good James Marsden looks in that fucking tight t-shirt because I was not <laughs> mad about having to look at this man for like an hour and Alexander Skarsgård is going to come along soon and make me feel the same way. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. But yes, overall, super into it. Can't wait to see the second episode. What about you? Okay, guess what? <gasps> oh, no. What? I hated it the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I want to give some backstory on this. Yes, and okay. obviously, if you've been listening and, and, and anything to know about me, I did probably the stupidest thing that I think I could have done, which was reread, binge reread the book. Let me put it that way. And yeah. about a seven day period before the premiere of this, because it had been a while since I read it. And I really wanted to get back into the world. And it didn't take me long to fall in love with it all over again, as that's no surprise. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the first time <laughs> I watched it, I, I think I set myself up mm-hmm. for the initial disappointment that I had. Okay. Um, I wasn't too keen on the jumping around to begin with. Um, I wasn't too keen on some of the casting choices. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh, I was not too keen and I'm still not too keen on a couple of differences in some of the character backstories um, that they did. But I gave myself a couple of days to cool off from that because I, (laughs) when I tell you, so I watched it with Scott, okay? And he was so into it. He was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is going to be great. And I, I I wish there was just a picture of me sitting over there with my arms folded (laughs) and I was like, well. um, I can picture this. Yeah, I was like, that did not happen, and that didn't happen. And after a couple days of simmering down from that, I watched it a second time, and I have to tell you, I did a complete 180. Oh. And I'm actually really excited about the direction they're going in this, or, yeah, the direction they're going with this, because it's not meant to be, like, the novel. And what I mean by that is 
We don't, and like you said, you're not going to be spoon-fed the whole beginning of the epidemic. You're not going to be spoon-fed. You know, these bits and pieces are going to make their way in over time. And and that's fine, but I I think I just went into it really hoping that there would be a little bit more of the beginning of the epidemic than what we actually saw, because it just felt a little rushed to me. Hmm, Okay. Um, but I have to say, like I said, the second time around, I was really into it. I kind of fell in love with one of the characters. And this just going to show that weird side of me, but it's not who you're probably thinking of. Um, and yeah, so that's my weird way of saying I had mixed emotions, but then I I. I put it all aside and I said, you need to enjoy this for what it's going to be because it's going to be amazing and not let that pesky part of me that is such a purist to novels <laughs> get in the way of enjoying something that's going to be really great. I Like, I think, honestly, that's so fair. And I love that you took space and just, like, let it sort of simmer and let it kind of just kick around inside you and and then you went back to it and and tried again because I mean like that's all you really could give it right is that second chance I mean but I, I don't know I, I just think that's so fair it's just something that happens when you read a book and you love a book so much when you see it come to life and it's not it's not what you imagined it feels. I don't know. Books are so personal in that way because they're Mm -hmm. in your own mind. They're in your own imagination. And then when they're shared on a screen, it becomes this collective thing that like you kind of no longer have control over. And it feels, I don't know, it's like vulnerable in a weird way. So I totally get it. And I I, like I'm I'm very glad that you just gave it some time and went back to it and, and you're feeling more positive about it now. That's I'm I'm really happy about that. Yes, I am too, because I, I'm sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I really am because I had really built this up in my mind. And honestly, the small things that they had to change, I understand why they changed it because they're actually rewriting a little bit of the story. Like King himself is rewriting some things. And I've from what I can understand, there's going to be a totally different ending to the series yeah, I've than heard that as even well. was in the book, which I'm really actually excited to see what they do with that because I think someone once told me I'm in the very small population, probably the number of people that survived the super flu here <laughs> in The Stand that actually didn't mind the ending of The Stand. Oh, interesting. Um, A lot of people did not like the way it ended. I myself didn't mind it. I actually thought it ended the way that it should end. And Hmm. and I'm I'm in a minority on that and I accept it and that's okay. But you're right. The book was very, it's very personal. And the world building in the book and the description of the characters, I mean, it's, it's a pretty heavy novel. So you're going to get all of that extra content that there's no way can really actually come to the screen. So no, and especially not with nine hours of content, right? Exactly. And, and like, I, I swear they got a 10 episode order. So I'm, I'm interested to know why they stuck with nine, unless I'm wrong about that information, but I could have sworn I saw that they were getting 10 episodes. So 
I mean, how do you bring, like, what is it, like 1,300 pages alive yes. in nine hours? It, it, I don't know. Like, I, I think we'll see, I guess. But it, I think it could have done with 13 episodes or maybe. Yeah. But, you know, again, we're on episode one, so a lot to yeah. see still. There, we got a we got a long road ahead of us mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so those are my initial thoughts on it, and I am very much looking forward to the season. So, and I have to say, I was I was really impressed with the way that they brought the symptoms of Captain Trips up onto the screen. I really enjoyed that. The engorged neck, like it attacks your lymph nodes. And that right. that's something that's really descriptive in the book. Um, everyone's neck was swelling. They had bruises, things like that on their neck. So I really actually enjoyed that. And I'm glad <laughs> I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing someone's no, I extra large neck. <laughs> I thought it looked really good. And I like, that's why I, when I was explaining, I was saying, I think it's practical effects because it looks really real. Like it doesn't look like they're doing a lot of digital stuff. Maybe they are, and it just looks really great, but. Yeah. Well, if it's special effects are practical, that I think they did a great job on that. And I'm yeah. glad that, I'm glad that they did do that. And we didn't just see people with like sniffles and coughing <laughs> yeah. and, you know, that type of thing. I'm glad that they actually showed the gruesomeness of this super flu strain. So that, that was a definite positive for me out of the first episode. Alrighty, are you ready to move into some of the characters, or did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Um, I will just say because I don't really know where it will fit in otherwise. But did you catch who was the voice of the president? Yes, Brian Cranston. Yes, <laughs> and you know how I caught that because I was listening and I was like, "This sounds so familiar. Who is this? I know who this is. It was on the tip of my tongue." And then when he started coughing, I was like. That's Walter White's cancer cough. Yeah. That's Brian <laughs> that <Christ>. sure is. <laughs> I didn't even have to look up any articles to realize who that was. I was like, that's amazing. I'm oh, so yeah. glad that that uh, he had a small cameo, I guess you could call that, even though he's not kind actually of. seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A voiceo. <laughs> a voiceo, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that that was it. I just don't know because he's obviously not a main character, right? So Yes, right. But yeah, let's do uh, it. Okay, so I have starting out with Harold Lauder. Do, would you like to start off with Mr. Lauder? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Harold is, um, for the sake of a better word, he's really considered a loser, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad to see, but he's also a super creep, mm-hmm. all right? Um, he's obsessed with his babysitter, Franny Goldsmith, and the his classmates caught him peeping in on her through the fence. And that whole chase scene was amazing where they were like chasing him on the bicycle. And I think he referred to the kid running as like the T-1000 yes. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is great. So that made me laugh. And I was like, this is cool. Um he is a very complex character. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I think that 
this, if I had to call this an episode about a character, I would say this was more centered around Harold. Yeah, I would agree. Than the other characters. And I was not mad about that because in the book, I hated Harold. Um, He had no redemption. I did not care for him. He was just an all around, just yucky, you know, kid and turned into a yucky guy. And I'm not going to spoil too much of it for you, but... Um, so I like the way that that came through. Owen Teague is an amazing actor. Oh boy, is he ever. I love him. Yeah. Another Um, bloodline alum. I know. Uh, I loved him in that and I love him in this. I think that he captures Harold's personality quite well. There are a couple of differences and I think that it was just necessary Um, In the novel, Harold looks a little bit different. He's a little overweight. He's got acne. And so you didn't really see Mm, that in this Harold. But that's okay because I think that his storyline might get a little bit of a boost. And I enjoy, I think I'm going to enjoy that. Well, he had greasy hair. So, He did have (laughs) greasy hair. Yeah, which you would think would cause the pimples, but. Mm, Great point, great point. (laughs) But I did, I did have, it's funny, I went through a range of emotions with Harold in this first episode. I felt bad for him because like, you know, the minute he walks in the door, his his mom's like, clean up from the sister's bridal party. And the sister's like, you're a fucking loser. Yeah. You know, he gets, you know, and then he gets upset because he's broken his computer and apparently writing is like his thing. And, and he got another rejection letter. So... You feel that for him, but then when you see the ugly side of him come out later, you're like, oh, so I'm not going to like this guy after all. You know, I just went through a range of emotions with him. Yes, I really enjoyed the way that they introduced him because now I've only seen the episode once. I was really hoping to get a second watch, but I just didn't have time. But the first thing that we see of him is in more like present day, right, where he's helping clean out one of the one of the homes and he runs outside to puke. And I yes, think that Harold. that, yeah, okay. So I think that gives you like a an immediate sort of uh, sort of sensitivity towards him. You feel for him in that moment. He's doing this tough work and it's obviously made him a little bit squeamish. And so you see that. And then you see him peeping through a fence, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, mm, okay, wait, that's a little creepy. But then he's getting like picked on and bullied. And you're like, okay, well, that kind of sucks. Like, I feel bad for him now. And then there's the whole, you know, like you were saying with his family, like it doesn't seem like he has a great home life. But then later, like he doesn't seem to care that any of them are dead. He really doesn't show <laughs> much emotion at all that, yeah. you know, this this woman that he is so clearly in love with, that her father has just died. And um, I, yeah, he seems there's definitely something up with him. And I can only assume that he becomes more of an antagonist as well, especially with the stuff that we see at the end and this like manifesto that he's writing. But I really Mm -hmm. like the way that, you know, like you're saying, they kind of take you on a trip with this guy and you're not really sure how to feel about him. I think really until the end of the episode, it's, it's super solidified how we should be feeling towards Harold. So. Right. Right. And you know, the whole, not to mention he was like, you know, wanking off to the picture of Franny, too. I was like, okay. See, I have a question (laughs) about this. Okay. So, listen, like, I don't know if this is really weird. I don't know, but I'm going to say it anyways. Okay. 
is it bad to do that? Like, is it bad to have a picture of somebody that you like? I mean, I know it's creepy and it feels uncomfortable, especially when you're watching as an audience. But I do wonder, like, is the picture just for a visual clue so we know what's going on? Because it's not like he doesn't know what Franny looks like. He can probably jerk off to Franny without the photo. But it felt like the photo was for us to know what he was up to. So I was trying to think, I was like, I don't know, is this this creepy? Like, I certainly don't want to take... Like, I've never done that, and I don't think I would ever do that. That's just not a thing that gets me going. But, like, what's the difference between having a picture of somebody you know and watching porn? Is it the level of consent? Because I think people that make porn are saying in a way, like, you know, this is what this is for, whereas a picture of somebody hasn't been given to you with that express consent. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I I like where you're going with that. I also, what— kind of creeped me out about it is that he just folded over the half with his sister. And oh, he was for just like, sure. No, yes. Just going to fold my sister over on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I was like, she's there in the picture. You know that. But no, I understand. And I'm yes, it was a visual clue for us. As, I think as if the peeping shouldn't have been a visual clue enough yeah, for fair, us. Fair. But um, but I think it just will build that obsession that he has with Franny. Right. And I and I was thinking about this. I was like, what would be the issue? Apart from that it's weird because there isn't really a consent there and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think the line really is like, does this give you a false sense of relationship with a person? Even though mm-hmm. it's very much one-sided, obviously. Right? Yes. So I think that's yes. probably where the bigger issue is, at least for this character. Now, all that said, I as well found it like skeevy. I did not want to watch this kid (laughs) fold over that picture with his sister in it and get to town. Like, no, thank you. (laughs) I'll pass on that. But anyway. Yeah. Well, and then we see that it will see more development from Harold, obviously. And this is what I'm really excited about is to really get into Harold's storyline based on what they've already introduced to us in this series. Um, but when he's in the Boulder Free Zone, which is the present day, okay, uh, the, the where he's at is called the Boulder Free Zone, and he seems to be like making friends, and he seems to be well regarded. Like he has a nickname; they call him Hawk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, he's got the friend who's telling him all about the movie picture, the drive-in movie picture that he wants to put up for everyone, like. He seems to be fitting in somewhere where in the real world or pre-Captain Trips, he never had a place, right? But then he runs into Sue and Franny and he's doing that weird smile, which is amazing. Again, He's doing his Tom Cruise creepy smile. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, this couldn't be more perfect, actually. Yeah, yeah. just that whole interaction and then him going off and talking about plotting to kill Stu Dogcock Redman, <laughs> um, which is a direct line out of the novel, which I really mm, appreciated that yeah, they did that. That definitely <laughs> seems like a, a Stephen King line for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then obviously dreams are going to be a big part of yeah. the series, which I'm super excited about. And the closing remarks I had on Harold were uh, that he dreams of Flag and his wolf giving him a stone. Mm-hmm. Fancy little crystal in that hand. I know. It's a mesmerizing little crystal. Yes. That's going to play 
that's going to be super important. So, Ooh, and, okay. And I love that his dreams are not in cornfields. His are of yeah. the seedy, like, um, you know, neon girly signs and things like that. So that's just giving us hints of what Vegas is going to be like. So, yeah, I'm okay. excited. Yeah, I really liked the differences in all of the dreams and just giving us, I mean, it was, it's kind of basic visual language, but it was used so effectively just to kind of show us like, hey, somebody else is on a different track or like these two people are on clearly different tracks based on these dreams that they're having. Right. So I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. I mean, I was a little sad that they cut away before we could see Alexander Skarsgård's face, but we got it (sighs) later. So (laughs) that's okay. We got, we got his like jeans and like lower Mm -hmm. half, which is all right with me. Yes, we did. (laughs) (laughs) So pervy. Um, all right, See, but that's have- the thing. Like, I might take a picture of Al- Alexander Skarsgård from downtown <laughs> to my bedroom. <laughs> might go to town on that bad boy hey, later. Listen. Who knows? And if he's got like a, I don't know, like a Chris Hemsworth in the picture next to him, I might just fold that part over because I don't need to be. <laughs> Why did I say Chris Hemsworth? Like he's a Hemsworth brother. I meant to say the other Skarsgård. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> yes, thank you. Who I might not actually fold over. No, that might not be a problem. <laughs> I was about to say just two for one deal right <laughs> there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, any other thoughts on Harold? Um, I think we hit all the big ones, honestly. I just, I liked the little, um, I liked the message that he left when they were leaving town. I thought that was really smart. I always love to see stuff like that in, like, kind of post-apocalyptic stories. Just the, like, even though he's a creep, he still has good ideas, right? Like, their idea to go to CDC was really smart. The fact that he's leaving messages for people that might come. I thought it was very interesting and very telling that he is standing not that far away from Franny, writing their names, and then says, I didn't know what your middle name was, when he could have asked, right? And I think that tells (laughs) us so much about the kind of guy that Harold is. That's Harold in a nutshell. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, I also but, loved yeah. his little speech in the mirror when he was like, Franny, you know. Fran, oh, I got also, a plan. I <laughs> got a plan. And then when he was brushing his teeth and the um, guy on the radio like shoots himself and he's just like, meh. <laughs> like, right? Oh. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He just, has very little emotion for what's happening. You know, right. like. He kind of launches right into conspiracy theories after he finds out that Franny's dad has died, you know? And uh, in that moment, I was like, this feels very relatable to COVID because yeah. there's so many conspiracy theories, you know? For sure. For yeah. sure. Well, um, the next person I have up is Franny. And I was going to get into some of the CDC stuff with her. Uh, yeah. Because... She and Harold obviously are starting off this journey together to go find, I guess, other survivors or go to the CDC to see if they could, which is what Harold tells her, you know, to see if there's something about them being immune that could help them. Um, So Franny, she, I have issues with this Franny. Is this um, the casting that you're not super keen on? No, this is the backstory that I'm not okay. super keen on thus far, uh, <laughs> which only leaves one more person with the casting, but we'll get oh, to that in a moment. Okay. I know, I know. <laughs> Don't worry, I've got some positives in okay, there too. Okay. 
Um, so Franny, we see her. She's obviously got a close relationship with her dad. He, she wants to tell him something, but he's very clearly sick. And then he obviously passes away from Captain Trips. Um, she's digging in the backyard and she lets Harold know, hey, you know, my dad died. And, and she drags him down the stairs, you know, and buries him and, She's got a backstory that's a little bit different than in the novel. In the novel, she had a little bit of a hard relationship with her mother, which I believe they're taking this twist on it in the series that her mother died along with the little brother um, in a car accident, I believe. So that's a little different. And that's obviously not enough to make me not (laughs) like Fran. What I don't like is the committing suicide um, angle of it because the Fran in the novel is a lot stronger in the beginning of the epidemic than this. She's pull herself up by the boot heels type of girl. She's taking care of things. She's totally in charge of herself and she's really protective, you know, of her little bubble and and protective of herself, really, to be honest. Mm. And so I didn't, I just didn't care too much for that because Harold coming in and saving her is going to be sort of down the road. I feel like, well, remember that time Mm -hmm. I saved you, Franny? And why don't you love me back? Because you would be dead right now. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that type of thing. Yes. So I didn't know that this was, obviously I didn't know this was different, right? I haven't read the book, but I I did not like this part of the story either. And um, it is mainly because of the angle of Harold, quote unquote, saving her. I don't like that. And like, again, I don't know if this is another like crazy hot take, like the, you know, like the photo thing, but I sort of think that in this situation, now this, this doesn't really touch on, you know, your point of view with, Franny being different in the book, right? And and probably not somebody that was going to try to die by suicide. But I just think like if you're if you're in this wild pandemic that has taken pretty much everybody on earth, pretty much everybody in the town that you live in, your whole family is gone. I think you should get to choose if you want to live or not, right? Yeah. And if you've made that decision, nobody should then come and intervene, I don't think, right? Um, and it does set up this weird power dynamic now that Harold has, again, quote unquote, saved her. And I thought it was really interesting that later on, we're going to see that scene between um, Stu and the military guy. I cannot remember his name right now, but he is. And and to be fair, like Stu and Starkey, thank you. They don't know each other. So there isn't that there isn't that personality, there isn't that like relationship there, but it's very clear what he's going to do that entire time. It's very clear that he's going to take himself out, right? Right. And yet there's no intervening there. And so to me, I just thought that that was a very interesting way and uh, to set that up and to sort of contrast those two things. And it felt a lot like, oh, this woman needs to be saved. And I, I like, I was not here for it. So, right. Yeah. Right. And that's the main thing is that I didn't like the quote unquote saving her angle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and there, there are drastic differences, obviously, from the novel. And I'm sorry, I don't want to spoil you too much on the novel because no, I really okay. want you to. 
to I'm, get into it. I am love still it. gonna get into it, and I I don't know. I I don't think it's the kind of thing that can really be ruined. I don't get ruined a lot by spoilers. Like I have to okay. be. I don't know. I think Twin Peaks is the one thing that if you fucked it up for me, I'd be mad. But I've already seen it all, so <laughs> I don't know. Okay, all right, good to know. Yeah. Um, and I agree with your point that obviously, if if all of your loved ones are you know, gone and the world has gone to hell in a handbasket, basically, you know, it should be your choice to what you want to do with yourself. And that it just is such a drastic change from the Franny that is in the novel. And that personality of Franny that's in the novel, when she gets to the Boulder Free Zone, really is a huge part of the role she plays there. So I guess that's where my thought process came from on that, where I was like, well, but she's not, she's not really like this though. Like she buried her dad. She did do that, you know? And oh my God. And that's like, that's no small feat. Like she no. dug this whole grave and carried a man who also had this like extra bulk around his neck down yeah. the stairs and into, I mean, that had to have been a day long activity. <laughs> Right, exactly. It it had to take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Especially getting them down those stairs. But, you know, so I guess that was just what is to think about what is this going to do Mm -hmm. for future Franny's personality, maybe is where Mm -hmm. I'm thinking with that. So, but yeah, I and I'm thinking, my goodness, if you are left in a gone quit Maine with with no one but Harold Lauder. Yeah. <laughs> then you you may not want to be in the world anymore. And that would be perfectly okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know what? Like I can definitely see what you're describing to have such a drastic like it does feel like a drastic change. And especially when I mean, I don't know how many other, apart from maybe Whoopi Goldberg's character, I don't know how many other like female identifying characters we're gonna get. So to have one of seemingly the main characters who is so I don't know, so much so much more together and and with it and not needing quote unquote saving in the book to then have it be have the script flipped like this. That feels frustrating. I can totally understand where that annoyance is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So and the thing um, too is that like as much as I'm enjoying like I want to see more from this per, uh from Franny because I think what's the actress's name? Odessa Young, I believe. Yes. She did I think all she could with what she was given. We didn't get as much development as I would have wanted from her in this opener. You're right. It's definitely more of like a Herald episode. Hopefully we're going to get more time with Franny in the future. But I think that also like the whole suicide saving thing, like it kind of takes away from time we could have spent getting to know her. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, when we see her, speaking of Stu and the future, when we see her in Boulder Free Zone, mm-hmm. she's she has caught pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> she was immune to the super uh, flu, but not immune to the sperm. Nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is very pregnant. Yeah. And um, that's obviously, you know, they're alluding to she's got some type of relationship with Stu. I'm curious to see where they go with that. But yeah, and obviously that is the center of Harold's, you know, jealousy when it comes to and mm-hmm. because I I feel like Harold feels like she's his property and that's yes. 
that's where we're going to get a lot of issues come into this. So he's very clearly narcissistic. And yeah, I mean, just to go back to him for a minute, again, the way that they like take you on that journey of like the ups and downs with him, not being sure how to feel about him. He at first kind of plays as like the unlikely hero, right? Like, oh, he's kind of the nerdy loser, but he's going to save the world or something. Right. And I think that's how he sees himself, but that's not who he is. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So that kind of, oh, and then she does uh, dream of Mother Abigail Fremantle yes. in the corn. And there's a kid running around in the corn, which is really weird. I'm like, how many more Stephen King kids in the corn can we get? <laughs> yeah. Um. But, and Mother Ab- Abigail tells her that she must find her at Hemming home in Colorado. Now, I do want to say something about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the biggest pet peeve of mine from the episode. Oh, okay. Is Hemingford Home was in Nebraska, which is known for the corn. Okay. In, in the novel. And so when you think of Hemingford Home in Colorado, I... I just wouldn't automatically think of corn. And I understand that they're going to have to cut a lot of things. They're going to have to rewrite a lot of stuff because, like you said, there's a there's a limited time that we have to spend with this miniseries. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't make sense to me. I They could have spent a little bit of time in Nebraska. I right. don't know. It's right. It's probably ins- it's probably going to be insignificant in the long run, but that just bothered me because Mother Abigail being in Nebraska was a really big part of the oh. story. Hmm. Yeah, but that's okay. Like I said, I understand that they need to hurry up and they need to get to Colorado and then they need to show the other side of the uh, in the West. I'll refer to it as the West. They need to show the West also, which is where our honey bunny is residing. Mm-mm. And um, <laughs> so they're going to have to, you know, there's things that they're going to have to cut out. But it was just a it was just a pet peeve of mine. OK, so you're thinking that like they're skipping. So there was Nebraska stuff in the novel, but to kind of make it a little bit easier, a little bit more streamlined for the series, they're kind of converging a few events in Colorado, perhaps. Yes. OK. Yes. OK. Interesting. I am not super knowledgeable on where cornfields grow, so (laughs) that would not have stuck out to me. But knowing that kind of thing, like had I known that, that would be very glaring and annoying. So, yes, because like I said, dreams are going to be a big thing. And we Mm -hmm. we also Mm -hmm. saw stew in the cornfield. Right. And who which one of them had also the wolf? That was stew. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't. Just a small pet peeve of mine. Hey, and, that's fair. And, you know, it, it'll it it'll bug me probably through the whole thing, but I'll push it to the back of my mind and I'll power <laughs> through it somehow. Well, maybe they'll <laughs> surprise you somehow. Yeah. Um, well, that's all that I really had for Franny. Did you have anything else you wanted to add for her? No, I'm good. Yeah, like I said, like we just didn't, we just didn't get enough from her. I'm looking forward to more. Yes. <laughs> So let's move on to Stu Redman. Ooh, sorry, sorry. Oh, what, yes. Was did I miss something? What did we know that Franny was pregnant? Like before they left. 
No. Okay. Okay. No. But she probably was, was, right? Because it's only been, like, didn't they say it's only been been like five months? It's only been five months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she has caught pregnant, but we don't know who she caught pregnant by yet. Yes. Okay. Okay. I was like, damn, they got, (laughs) like, her and Stu got to work real quick. Real quick, those two. Like, within a day, maybe? (laughs) So, we saw the very pregnant Franny, but we don't know who she caught that pregnancy from. And that is the most fantastic way to say somebody is pregnant. And I will be saying (laughs) it from here on out. (laughs) That's, I think my grandmother used to say either they caught pregnant or fell pregnant. And so... (laughs) Is this the same grandma that was talking about... um, Oh my gosh, what is it? H- hopping around, hopping around, bed, bed hopping, hopping, bed hopping. Yes. <laughs> Same grandmother. Yeah, I love she this had a, grandma. She had a colorful vocabulary, oh, that one. She sounds so. fantastic. <laughs> All right, well, we'll move on to said Red, uh, Stu, excuse me, Stu Redman, <laughs> Red Stuman. <laughs> this is how he shall be known from here on out. Not a fan of James Marsden in oh, this role. Oh no, why? Yeah, tell me, tell me, why? Um... Uh, it's, I, I, I just don't know what it is, but he doesn't, he just doesn't have enough of the stew mm. in him that I, I don't know. When I think of James Morrison, I, I just think of this pure, like, guy, some of the roles that he, well, in think Dead about to Teddy. Me, I think about Ted. I really do think <laughs> about Teddy. Yeah. Um. I was gonna say in Dead to Me, well, he was Same. actually, but he turned out to be. Yeah, exactly. So, I think about Teddy, and I think about this childlike quality about him. And so, I'm hoping that this gets better with each episode, and I'm sure that it will. But for the first and second time around with the first episode, I still was like, ooh, I just can't. I can't like this right now. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so it's, I mean, it's got to be what you know from the book. Like, he is just not embodying what you think yeah. a stew should be, right? Like, I mean, because I'm just thinking, for me, the reason I enjoyed him so much, I mean, I don't have any background here. And from what I got from his introduction is that he's just kind of supposed to be this sort of like, regular old hero kind of guy. Like he's, he's not real book smart, but he's got a lot of street smarts and he's like, he's kind. He's like, he, um, he's quite capable, but he's just kind of a regular dude. And to me, James Marsden is just the regular kind of dude. I mean, he's definitely above average in, in certain ways, but he's just kind of a regular dude. Like I also think of Teddy. And so I think that's funny because like, what I see him as is kind of working for me in that way, but it's working against it for you in that way. So that's very interesting. Well, the stew in the novel is like just this rugged, like East Texas um, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe if um, James Marsden had grown out some stubble or something, okay. maybe. Yeah. Maybe that would have done it for me. Um, like you I need him to be a little rougher around the edges. Yeah, okay. because that's maybe that's what it is. I need him to be a little more like not cowboyish, but just a little more rugged. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't mind the this changes that they made to some of his storyline, and we don't have to really get into that because they're very minute. The changes are very minute, but I don't know. I just. 
It was a hard time for me following the stew stuff because for me, the whole time I was thinking, well, this didn't happen this way and Mm. that didn't happen that way. And stew's at the front line of patient zero, which we find out is Campion, right? Because he, he crashes into the gas station. And so... Needed, I felt like I needed a little more with Stu on his time in the facility and the tests that they ran on him, things like that. That felt a little rushed to me. But again, I know that they're cramming a lot. They're trying to cram a lot of source mm-hmm. material in as small amount of time as they can. And so I get the things they had to cut out or, or like combine you know, right. to to do the stew storyline. But um, he's immune to Captain Trips and he's taken to a facility and monitored to figure out why he's immune. Um, all of his friends are dead. So everyone that was at Hapscombe's, which is the gas station, um, they've all died from the super flu. He's what the military are thinking or the government are thinking is the only immune person at the time because they really like scoop him up right from the scene because they know that he came in contact mm-hmm. with camp with Campion, right? right? And I liked the relationship he formed with the doctor. I hated that the doctor got taken out the way that he did. No, I know. I was really enjoying their back and forth. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And so Stu starts off at the Arnett facility, but then he gets taken up to Vermont. Um, So that's where they take him to uh, another facility that hasn't been compromised. And then you've got that asshole guard, Cobb, I believe is his name. Uh, He's a Uh, doctor, I think. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I call him a guard. And even throughout all of the novel, I was like, no, you are a guard. That's all I'm going to call you. I feel like like doctor is a nickname or something that somebody gave him (laughs) as a kid because I don't think he's a doctor. So some people call it, yeah, you could, I'm a doctor of some sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, and Stu, he lost his wife very tragically. So he's a widower. Um, and I don't know if you caught this, but they also started to give away a little bit of that the super flu also affects the, uh, the animals. Right. Yeah. Which is why uh, they because had the guinea, weren't they just guinea pigs? They were guinea pigs, Which was like right. a little like, oh, Stu's the guinea pig, eh? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the doctor also said, that's why your dog is dead. And he was like, that Aww. was my wife's dog. I know. I know. So sad. Yeah. Um, so it's really sad that the animals get it too. I was like, no. Even though that's yeah. in the... Even though that is in the novel, I still was like, no, (laughs) I was hoping that y'all would make animals immune. That's the one change you wanted. That's the one adaptive change you were hoping for. (laughs) No, I know. It's like, I don't know what Stephen King's thing is with animals, but like in almost every one of his novels, like they all have to die or they all have to be evil. And I'm like, why? He does have his little things that he likes, you know, like I also feel like he really loves like a writer type, you know? He loves yes. to have a writer in one of his or in his stories. And like even even the stew kind of guy who's like kind of not overly intellectual, but still very smart, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, now, Stu's easy on the eyes. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I enjoyed Oof. watching him. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to mind watching him throughout the series. He just he's just not the stew I imagined. And that was like really hard for me to get over. Yeah. But 
Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I, I do okay. hope that he kind of, you know, becomes more of the stew that you're looking for. Because, like, so far <laughs> I'm enjoying him, again, without the background to, or or without anything to compare it to. He just seemed to be uh, stepping into the role of a character that was just kind of that basic sort of all-American hero type guy, mm-hmm. right? And um, I, I kind of liked that, uh, the way, and I again, I don't know what it's like in the book, but his reactions to everything that the doctor was telling him were very, like, calm and collected. And I feel like it's so tropey for somebody to be like, oh, my God, what the fuck is going on? No, you have to tell me. Oh, my God, they're dead. You have to let me see their bodies. Like, to be freaking yeah. out, which is normal, but it's just so overplayed that there was something I really enjoyed about this different take on that. And just the way that he listened and was like, yeah, I mean, obviously, if I'm immune, like, you got to do what you got to do. Take the test. We got to help people, whatever, whatever. And then even when they were in the, like, military vehicle and they gave him that blackout hood thing, I mean, he's not—he's clearly not stupid. And he said something, and he was kind of standing up for himself in a way. But he also realized, like, what's, what's the win here if I keep pushing? You know, like, I, I should just, I guess, follow these orders, whatever— there was just something really refreshing about the way that they dealt with all of that. And it just, I don't know. I was really, I think the stew scenes were the favorite part of the episode for me. Like I was just really, <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I'm biased. I loved his little sweatpant outfit and those little, oh, yeah. those little shoes. Like I want to yeah. wear that outfit. It looks so comfy. It fit him very well. Maybe I'm biased. I wouldn't mind being in an underground bunker with him, especially that What's nice that? of an underground bunker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially that second one. I mean, yeah, exactly. They, yeah. And he made a good point. He's like, how far down are we for it to be so sort of superficially uh, like bright and everything like that, which I thought was a really interesting comment. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'd be fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have any complaints. Let's no, put it that way. No. I would just refer to him as James instead of Stu. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Um, Marsden. Mr. Marsden, how are you? <laughs> Well, and then, of course, he has dreams as well. But in his dreams, he sees a wolf, which we, I don't know. He sees the corn, which is half of Franny's dream. But he sees the wolf, which is half of Harold's dream. Yes. So. And again, I really liked all that sort of the differences, but the similarities. And again, like I said before, it's very simple kind of visual imagery for us to read. But so effective. Like I just, I yeah. really enjoyed these dream sequences and just trying to figure out what it all means. Like I'm super excited to see more. Yeah. Well, did you have anything else about Stu or what happened there in those facilities? I mean, the only other thing is, is the interaction with Starkey, which we've already kind of touched on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was very empathetic in that moment with mm-hmm. him. And I appreciated that he let him read the Yates to him and understood why. Because Starkey is the one that created the super flu. So, oh, okay. Okay. Was I supposed to get that from the show? Did I miss that? Um, because I had a theory uh, about who started it. (laughs) Oh, well, it was, it definitely, I I think they alluded enough to this to know that it was definitely something that was government. Um, okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough, yeah, and. 
Starkey is the one that kind of oversaw all of that and was like in charge of all of the germ warfare, I guess you could say. So, okay. Yeah. And I am starting to remember maybe some dialogue. Like, was he talking about something? I can't quite remember. So I'm I'm just not going to say it again. I need a second watch. But yeah, I was like, did also, what are we calling Alexander Skarsgård right now? Because we saw the poster of the dark man, right? Mm -hmm. Although I don't know what like connection that has but also I think his name is Randall Flagg yes well his name is his name is Randall Flagg but I like to call him the walking dude the walking dude yeah okay I like that so we see him walking down the road yeah okay no I'm here for that so I had this theory that he that the walking dude was somehow behind all of it Oh, he's, well, we can move on to him if you'd like to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, no, I think we did cover everything on Stu. Like, again, a lot of his scenes were just kind of giving us background on how it all got out and, like, why, not really why he's immune, but the fact that he is immune. And, yeah, there there's not much else there, so. Yeah. So, Mr. Flag or the walking dude or the dark man, <laughs> whatever you want to call him, he, he, he has several names. Um, he is actually responsible in the miniseries here for the release of Campion. So Campion Uh, was in. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. So Camp, so you're right. Campion was in that room with the first person who accidentally came across, you know, Mm -hmm. that the, the superflu strain in that enclosed room. Now, the elevator door was, like, jammed, but that's because he was holding it open with his shoe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's responsible. He's not responsible for the germ warfare. Right. But he is, But he is behind it cut, getting out and getting okay. out to the public in that way. Okay. Because he kind of had that influence over Campion, I believe, where... Campion was kind of struggling with, do I leave? Do I stay? And then he thinks about his, you know, family or whatever. And he's like, I've I right. got to get home. Like, I've got to get out of here. I've got to save myself and my family. And that's like the vulnerability that the walking dude or Randall Flagg can really hone in on people. Mm, and okay. so, yeah. And then you see him like walking down the road. And then when Campion drives by, you see him like with his thumb out, hitching a ride. And then he's like in the back seat of his car. And <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, so did I. And I like, I don't know if it's something you can tell me or if it's something that, you know, we'll find out like how he works later on. But like, was he actually in the car? Well, no, he's, I believe that was a dreamlike thing, kind of okay. like Mother Abigail. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm, is kind of what I assumed because if he's able to sort of infiltrate people's subconscious space, then why yes. not their conscious space as well? Sort of, yeah. Exactly. So I was really excited that we did get to see his beautiful face there mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. We got a little bit of a smile, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. We got a little bit. Little little um smirk there from a little smize. Mm-hmm. A smize from the walking dude. <laughs> 
The only other thing I had was Mother Abigail, and she is definitely, Whoopi Goldberg is definitely my Mother Abigail. So I was very Ooh. excited about that. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I yeah, love I, that. I think, they, I think they cast that absolutely, like, flawlessly. So I'm really excited to see her in this because it's been forever since I've seen her in anything. And when I was a kid, like, I, I loved Sister Act. I loved... um Oh man, what's that movie called? It's like Karina Karina or something. It's like, uh-huh. do you know what I'm talking about? Where, yes. yeah, I mean, it's just there's that scene where she's making the bed and she does it in what, like, she takes the sheet and she makes it perfect in one thing. And I always think about it every time I'm making the bed. Like, I just wish I could be <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg in that scene, but <laughs> I love it. I'm just like, I'm very excited to see her in something again, you know, that's like yeah, not me the view. Too. <laughs> Yeah, that's not, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to obviously see more of her and we're going to get a lot more Mother Abigail, um, nice. obviously. So, yeah, but how she infiltrates dreams and sort of brings people, like calls people to her. Randall Flagg can do the same thing. Obviously, right. we saw him do it with Harold. Now, Stu having the mixed dreams is really um interesting to me and i really like that about how he's in the cornfield but yet he sees the wolf Mm -hmm. um he thinks it's a crying baby but then it's just the wolf with the red eyes so i'm very i'm so glad that they're they are doing the wolves in this because that's a big part of uh the story as well are the wolves Mm, so super excited about that too awesome are there any other like major sort of ad- adaptive things that you can think of from this episode that you wanted to bring up or did you kind of pepper them in throughout our discussion? Yeah, I, I mean, I peppered them in. Those were the main things that stuck out to me were just the differences in some of the backstories that they're giving some of these folks and then the look and the, you know, obviously they had to update everything because it is setting taking place like in present times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, the novel came out in the seventies and then the uncut version, like in 1990, I believe. So okay, okay. they did update for it to be in modern times, which I'm really excited about that. I think that was probably a good choice. Yes. Instead of having to spend so much time, I guess, establishing a past also. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think mm-hmm. people are used to period pieces at this point now, but I just think that there's more work in doing that just in terms of sets. And it seems like they already yes. have their work cut out for them with a pandemic kind of set. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It makes sense to me. So I'm glad that they chose that route, though, because, I mean, you know, they did make this in 1994. There was a miniseries right. on the stand. And I'm just... So I'm glad they modernized it and they didn't set it back in history again. So have you seen that miniseries? I have seen that miniseries, actually. So and what are your thoughts uh, on it? Oh, it was good. Now, it's different because they did the casting and that was really good, in uh-huh. my opinion. Um Gary Sinise was Stu Redman. So maybe that's also who I'm picturing in my mind. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, and then Molly Ringwall was Franny, so. Oh, love yeah. it. But um, 
the 94 miniseries, they, they, they took some time. A lot of complaints about that or a lot of things about that was they felt it was a slow burn, but it's because they did take the time to show a lot of the beginnings of the super flu and like Mm. what was happening in all parts of the country, like during the beginnings of the super flu, like the, like the pandemonium and everything that was going on. And they skipped through that in this one, which I am, I am glad that they, they didn't drag it out. Like, I'm glad the first episode wasn't just, okay, here's the super flu. Let me show you everybody like going nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I have to assume that this was filmed some time ago, but it does seem quite lucky. I think that they didn't, that they didn't show that part in any sort of detail. Cause I think living, not that we're anywhere near what is happening in the show, but similar themes are happening. Right. And so I think after living through a year where we're in a pandemic and we're going through lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, it just seems like probably better to just skip ahead. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, so I, I just have like one kind of question. I mean, it's kind of a simple question and I don't know. I, I am assuming that it will be explored. I just kind of want to ask it just in case there is anything that I'm missing. I don't think I am, but so we kind of know that like Stu is probably immune to this Captain mm-hmm. Trips. Right. Are Harold and Franny and all of these people in the uh sorry, what is it called? The Colorado free zone or the Boulder Free the Zone? Boulder Free Zone, yep. So are these are all of these people immune? Yes. Okay. And do we know why? No. And is that a thing? <laughs> Um, it's never really explained in the novel. They may, they may take that direction in the miniseries, which would be interesting if they did. Right. Put, tie something to what the immunity is, but no, it's never explained. So that's just not really the focus. Okay. Well, it's just never explained. Like these people were just immune to it. and Which is totally fair. I mean, I'm sure that there's enough going on in those 1300 pages that that's not really, (laughs) like to me, it kind of reminds me of, in the leftovers while the people disappeared was never the point of the show. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. But I've always wanted to know what it was, Like, but <laughs> I guess it's just like some people, you know, they go their whole life and they never get the flu, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, so I guess it's just some sort of immunity, but it seems like something in germ warfare you wouldn't necessarily be immune to. Right? Because you've probably never been exposed to any of those particular pathogens, right? So then that had me thinking, like, if the walk-in dude was more um, responsible, like, more than just letting it sort of run uh, free, like the virus, um, like, was there a reason that particular people were immune? Because it seems like there's these two sort of forces of like good and evil that are amassing some sort of team to fight. Right. right? So I was just wondering if that had anything to do with it. But um, yeah, well, and those are good. Those are good points to make. And I, (laughs) yeah, you're welcome. And I think it's, it's all going to come out in more dream sequences. I'm hoping. So Specifically, don't want to spoil the dream sequences for you because I realize they're going to be a really big part of the series. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think you'll 
understand more with more dream sequences exactly what the good and evil uh, aspect of the of the tale is going right. to be, if that makes sense. No, totally. Yeah. I just wondered if there was, um, again, like I said, if there was anything that I missed from the episode that kind of maybe alluded to or hinted at why there was an immunity, but no, that's fine. No. Don't spoil the dreams. That's great. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because I assume if they are going to be a big part of the series, like, especially for listeners that are actually watching the show and, you know, listening in, like, it'll be fun for them to see it for the first time, maybe, unless they're book readers. I don't know. Whatever. We're on the journey together. Let's take it. That's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So much fun. Yes. Oh, I'm I'm. I am glad I gave it a second view because at first yeah. I just was like this. I mean, I had tears coming out. I was like, this is disappointing. Oh. And then I said, I know. And then I really like told myself, you're being way too hard on this. Like you're, you've got to stop being such a purist about, about adaptations and just accept them for what they are and accept the beauty and the adaptation. So. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we're only one episode in, so you never know what might happen. Like, I think you're still yeah. entitled to dislike something because, I mean, if they do a shitty job bringing it to life, that's just the fact, right? Like, it's not you being a purist. It's just they've done a shitty job bringing it to life. But yeah. <laughs> I, like, when I was like, what are your overall thoughts? And you said, well, guess what? Like, my stomach, I felt it in my stomach. I was like, oh, shit, she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I did to begin with. That's so funny. And I really thought that your casting issue was going to be uh, with um, Harold, but Owen Teague, because I had texted you, this kid from Bloodline is so great. And then, I mean, I know I texted a few other things like at the same time, and I think you were answering other things, but I was like, hmm, that's curious that she's saying this about the casting and never answered me about the kid from Bloodline, but... That was just an oversight on my part. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, don't be. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up for now. Um, Like I said at the top, we will be back next week. We're going to be wrapping up our Best of TV in 2020 series, our third and final episode. That'll be out next week. So stay tuned for that. And then we'll be back in January with more coverage of The Stand by then uh, episode three will be out. So we'll be covering episodes two and three. And if you have feedback or you want to like send in questions about the show or like just feedback about the episodes, whatever, um, like about future episodes or about episodes that you've listened to, whatever, um, send us an email, damnfinepod at gmail.com or just drop us a DM on Instagram either way. But like, yeah, we want to know what you guys are thinking about the show as well. So, yeah, um, I just wanted to wish everyone happy holidays, no matter what you're celebrating or how you're celebrating. And if you're alone this year, you're just put on a podcast, listen to our voices. We'll be with you and uh, we'll all get through it. And next year will be better. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon. Yes. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at TV. You can find me on Instagram at DamnFineWitch and Mel's at SuperficialMel's. And if you're watching TV, make sure it's TV. Damn
damn fine. TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks. 